Hi friends, this is self-care and soul care for the caregiver and I am your host Sandra Peoples. I am so excited that you are joining us today because I have my longtime friend, like years, <laughs> we've been friends years, which is especially in blogging time, seems like it's like dog years and blog years. So if you've been <laughs> online friends for as long as we have and, and seen each other walk through a lot of different things, um, it kind of intensifies that relationship. And so Jolene Philo is joining me today. And I know lots of you are familiar with her and her work because she has been writing so many helpful books for years. And today we're specifically talking about her newest book, Five Love Languages for Special Needs Families. And I am so excited about the wisdom that she's gonna share because I feel like we all need a little help in this area because things have been tough during the pandemic season especially as we're trying to love our families well and so Jolene thank you for being here with us well thank you for having me Sandra it's so good to see your face <laughs> I, just, I just love it I know we usually communicate through written word emails right. and yeah. Facebook yeah. posts and all that kind of stuff and so it is fun to feel face to face um, so if you could take just a minute to introduce yourself tell us about your family uh, tell us about the book specifically, but but you have been a caregiver your entire life. And so I think that my audience of caregivers who are special needs parents, but also people taking care of spouses, taking care of parents, you, you really kind of cover the gamut on that. Yes, I do. Uh, I grew up in Lamar's, Iowa, which any of you, if you've eaten Wells Blue Bunny ice cream, that's where it's made. I grew up in the ice cream capital of the world. And my father uh, had multiple sclerosis the entire time I was growing up. So my brother, sister, and I, along with our mom, cared for dad in our home throughout our childhoods. And uh, dad lived 38 years after his diagnosis. And um, he's passed away about 20 some years. And he was in a nursing home the last 14 years of his life. So I grew up caring for him and visiting him in a nursing home. And when I was um, 26, my husband and I had our first child. And he was born with um, a life-threatening condition that required many, many surgeries over about four years, lots of hospital stays, lots of trips to the doctor, um, we lived in South Dakota at that time. I was actually a country school teacher. We were in a very remote area. And when our son was three, then we moved back to Iowa, to central Iowa, where we've lived ever since. Um, our son grew up with uh, and did fine. We really didn't even think of him as a child with special needs after the time he was four or five, because he just did okay in everything. I mean, he was, he didn't have trouble in school. He had no other issues other than this one um, condition. Uh, but then when he was in middle school, we started seeing some behavior issues and it took us a number of years till he was a young adult before he was finally diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder that had been caused by all of those early uh, medical procedures that he went through. He's been treated for that. He's doing well. He's on his own. He's married. He has kids. You know, I, I ran the gambit there. I left teaching in about 2003 to start writing and speaking. And it was always a special needs stuff that 
got picked up. Uh, and I also worked for our church for a little while during that time. And I, it was like God just funneled me into those special needs writing. So my first book, A Different Dream for My Child, which is a devotional for parents of kids raising special needs, came out, I think, in 2009. And I have several other titles since then, one about post-traumatic stress disorder in kids. And then you mentioned sharing love abundantly in special needs families, which I co-wrote with Dr. Chapman about uh, using the five love languages with our children who have special needs and everyone else in the family. So that, oh, and then now my mother is in a care facility and she has some memory issues. That's been going on for about mm, 12 years, I suppose now. Um, and she's in a memory care unit. COVID has made it really hard to stay connected with her and help her get the stimulation she needs. So, you know, I have kind of done it all and I'm her financial person. So I'm in charge of all of her, her bills and keeping everything going. So that's been an interesting journey too, especially with COVID. Yeah, I'm sure it's nothing has been easy about this season. We're all having no. to adjust everything we do and family life and work life and church life. And, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. your husband's in the medical field. And so you yes. guys are taking some extra precautions and you want to be safe for your mom. And I, yes. I mean, there's just so many levels and so many different decisions that we're making, especially as caregivers or your husband being in a caregiving role mm -hmm. as his job. We're having to make different decisions even than the outside world, I guess, <laughs> to refer to typical families and all that goes on. And so one thing in our house that's been challenging during this season, our son James just turned 13, has level three autism, and he's one of those kiddos that you, you can't really take your eyes off of. And so during this season of him being home, he has taken more of my attention and more of mm -hmm. my energy than usual. And we lost all of our support systems. We lost the school. We lost church. We lost grandparents. And we're in Texas and things are opening back up. And so slowly we're getting those things back. But one of the things that I think suffered for me during this time was because James was getting all of my attention, there was less time and attention for me to give to my husband Lee and to our older son David. And so I, the book does an amazing job helping you identify even the love languages for your child with a disability. But I wanted today to talk about how we can know the love languages for our spouses and our typical children because we have limited time and limited energy to spend on them. And so we need to use the, the kids say hack, right? We're going to hack it or like a shortcut <laughs> that makes it more effective. And so your book really does share that, that hack, that wisdom to say, okay, if I, if I've got such a busy day and I've only got 30 minutes to spend with David in the evening, what can I do in that 30 minutes? How can I speak his love language so that he feels the most loved? And so that's what I'd like for us to chat about today. I think it would really encourage the audience. And so if you want to start out first by telling us what the five love languages are, just a quick summary so that we can start getting in our brains and start thinking about our family members and which ones stick out to us as we're listening to what of all five of them. 
Sure. And these love languages, of course, were a concept presented first by Dr. Chapman in the 1990s, I think. His premise is that um, everybody has a primary love language. We have to figure out what our love language is and what the love languages of are of the people we love. And then we need to speak their language to them and we need to, they need to speak our language to us so that we feel loved. So the love languages are, and I just have to look at my cheat sheet or I forget one, <laughs> words of affirmation. And those are the people who really feel loved when somebody encourages them or gives them a compliment or uh, thanks them for what they've done. And that can be in a written form or it can be in a spoken form. Both of those are words of affirmation. Uh, quality time is another one, and that is spending time with a person. And that doesn't mean sitting on the couch and scrolling through your phones together. <laughs> it means paying attention, intentional attention to that person, listening to them, doing something together. The next one is acts of service. And acts of service is doing things for someone. It can be as simple as bringing them their cup of coffee in the morning, or it could be washing the dishes or filling the car with gas. Those kinds of things to an acts of service person mean the world. And I'm an acts of service person, so I know this. It's really true. It's like, you've taken something off my plate. I love you, and I know you love me. Uh, the next one is physical touch. And this is not sexual touch. We're not talking about that. We're just talking about a pat on the back. Could be a back rub for kids. It might be ruffling their hair, or tickling them, or having a wrestling match. It can just be sitting close to someone uh, on the couch while you watch a movie, sharing a box of popcorn and touching fingers, or holding hands when you pray. Those kinds of things are physical touch. And then the last one is gifts. And that means those people to show love they give gifts, they'll give you things, or it might be they give you the gift of their time or the gift of a task completed for you, but it's very often a tangible gift and they like to receive gifts. Now they don't have to necessarily be purchased or expensive gifts. They can be found objects. You know, if you know someone who loves bird feathers and you find one on a walk and you give it to that person, they're going to love it. Or if you go to a garage sale and you know someone collects this, you could get it and give it to them. Or it can be sending them a card. Um, those are gifts people. And you will know them. I have a sister-in-law who's a gifts person. And it took me years till I applied this. I was like, of course, she's a gifts person because Christmas is so important to her. The gifts are themed. The packages are beautifully wrapped. And my family... I don't think there's anybody who's a gift person. And so we were kind of like, why is this so important? Well, it's her love language. Yeah. And then I've learned that if I can find something to give her, that's when she knows that I care about her. Yeah. So those are the love languages. Yeah. Um, do you want to just move straight on to how to determine them? Or yeah, did you we can. That'd questions? be great. It's amazing oh. to me how long it's been around, you know, and yeah. that's, and and because most of us are familiar with it, but I think as special needs families, sometimes we feel like things apply to other people and they don't apply to us. And so what I love about this book that you and Dr. Chapman did together is you say, no, this does apply to your families. 
this is how we figure that out together. And so it's such a gift for us to say, oh, this, this is really meaningful for families like ours and applies maybe even in bigger ways than it does in a family, in a typical family that is trying to figure this out. I think that's really true because the thing about the love language is once you have them, who, what language is somebody's in your family and you learn how to speak it, it's so easy to do, it's highly effective, and you can kind of MacGyver it to meet your <laughs> circumstances really yeah. easily. And I think that's what, when I started working on the book, that was my goal. I interviewed 40 families and I was like, who said they use them? And I'm like, how do you use them with everything else you've got to do? How do you figure it out and use it without it feeling like just one more thing you have oh, to do? Yeah. Because we don't have the time yeah. for that. So the first thing you have to do is figure out somebody's love language. And the best thing to do is start out by figuring out your own. And in the book, um, Sharing Love Abundantly in Special Needs Families, at the end of the first chapter are written copies of all of the love language quizzes that Dr. Chapman has come up with. There's the one for couples. Uh, there's one for singles because there are a lot of single parents. Uh, there's one for teens. Those are all there. You can, and so you can do it right in the book because I know that you don't have time to hunt for that stuff. So they're all there. But they're also easy to do online. So if you go to fivelovelanguages.com, and that's five with the digit, not the word written out, you can do it online in just a couple minutes. Now, if you have a child, uh, a typical child, the book goes into some of the the ways that we can figure out a love language for a child. And there's a mystery game that's included in the book. And then you can also do an observation method where you like maybe choose one love language for a week or two and you just use it with your child. And then you keep it, take notes about how they responded. And you do that for all five. And you will see that one of them really makes your child light up, seems to motivate them, they respond to, they wanna do that again. You've probably figured out their love language. Now, if your child is between the ages of zero and four, use all the love languages because they're too young to figure it out. And we all need, as infants and young children, we all need physical touch we need acts of service, we need quality time, we need words of affirmation, and all those are gifts we're giving our children. Yeah. And the same is true if you have a child with special needs whose developmental age is between zero and four, just use them all. Don't worry about figuring out one. Um, but then once you've figured out that person's love language, you have to kind of learn how to speak their language because it's not gonna be natural. It's just like, um, I took German in high school and I can still remember a little of it, but I haven't used it much. So it's pretty rusty, uh -huh. but learning that second language was harder than English. Learning somebody else's love language, if it's not yours, is going to be harder for you to speak. But I also remember when we had some German exchange students at our house and I said a few words of German, they were just thrilled because yeah. I'd made the effort. And the same is true for somebody else in your house. If they know you have a different love language and yet you're trying to speak theirs, that is going to mean a lot to them. So that's kind of a brief introduction on how to figure out somebody's love language. And, and I think it's just really important, especially for us with our kids and our typical kids, 
to make a big effort to use those. Because when we do, that half an hour that you said you only have with David a night, you can be intentional about it and craft that half hour to be the things you know are going to speak to him most clearly. So he's really going to get a big hit of love in that. And he's going to be able to better handle the time he doesn't get that attention. Yeah, I think that's is exactly why it's so important to figure out our typical kids. And I have a sister with Down syndrome, so I am one of those typical kids, yeah. you know, in a special needs family. And so we know, I mean, our parents just only have so much time and attention and it's going to go to the squeakiest wheel, you know, and, and, or the person who needs it the most. And so David and I sat down with your book and I did the quiz for mm -hmm. teens and some of his answers were really surprising. I mean, I feel like I know him really well. And like one of them, he always has a really long list for Christmas or his birthday. And so I thought, well, maybe gifts is one of his, but one of the questions was like, do you feel more loved when you receive gifts or when I compliment you for something that you've done a good job on? And he was like, Oh no, it's the compliment. I was like, Oh, okay. And so, you know, it, it helped me realize, no, it's words of affirmation that really speak to him. And so I need to just be conscious of that and increase the words of affirmation that I use and not just assume that, uh, making sure that he has the snacks that he likes or his clothes are clean. Those don't speak love to him in the same way that my words of affirmation do. Mm -hmm. and so, you know, those quizzes that are in the book were so helpful to us to just sit yeah. down together. And even that was a time of figuring out that was quality time and sitting close enough to kind of bump elbows. Mm -hmm. And so even in that, we're kind of experimenting with all five of the love languages to figure out which one felt the, the most true for him. And it is important, you make a good point there. It is important to know their primary love language and to speak it. But at different times, we all need different love languages. You know, depending on what's going on in your world at a certain time, you may need more physical touch. I remember my son, you know, he was 15 when he had his last one final surgery. That is not a time when you want to hold your mother's hand, right? When you're 15. Yeah. But he had, he was in the hospital nine hours or nine days after that surgery and uh, had to lay pretty still for his esophagus. They had had to connect his esophagus. So, you know, they had to wait for that to heal enough before he could start eating. And I would go in to sit with him and he would be like, and of course they had him on drugs. So he was kind of loopy, but he would say, oh hold my hand no. and I'd have to sit there for hours and hold his hand. And if I pulled away, mom, hold my hand. Yeah. I have to go to the bathroom yeah. I'll be right back <laughs> and I'll hold your hand again. But yeah. you know, so that me being there quality time and physical touch were so important to him. And that happens to all of us at yeah. different times. Yeah. Like if, if David would have an assignment he had to get done, he was on a deadline and he also had some chores he was supposed to do for that moment, acts of service might be really important to him. And you could say, okay, I'll do this for you. You just get the assignment done. Yeah. So, yeah. And that also helps them learn to speak the other love languages and to experience them. That's true. Yeah. Cause even during this time of, of COVID, 
we've had to, like my husband has had to increase his acts of service to me because I didn't, I didn't have the time, like my, my cleaning routine or my cooking routine or my doing the dishes routine, all of those were kind of out the window. And so the way he would say, what, how can I help? What can I do? What, what would make you feel the most loved? And some weeks that was bringing home chocolate from the grocery store, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like a little gift, a little Reese's cup. That's my favorite. And some weeks it was, can you unload this dishwasher so that I can do something else? And so even though those primary languages speak it the most, as you said, there's seasons or days that we need all five of those going yes. on. <laughs> yeah. Like, can you, you can't love somebody too much. You can't show them too much how much you love and appreciate them. And so there's no uh, missing the mark on this. If you, especially for our, you know, our zero to four kids, if those even, those are our typical kids. Like you said, we just got to use all five so that right. they feel loved and, and have that sense of security that they need as they grow older. And I think another important point is that we have to realize that for us to love others well, to be able to do that, to speak their language, we can only do that if we, if we are filled, if we feel loved. And uh, Dr. Chapman calls that, you know, your love tank. And so we have to make sure that our love tank is filled before we can fill somebody else's love tank. So when you tell your spouse, I really need this, or you tell your kids, if you would do this, I'd really appreciate it. You can even use that language because my love tank is feeling really empty right now. And I feel like I just don't have anything to give. And isn't that often the case with us as parents of kids with special needs? We are just poured out on a daily basis. We are. And so we have to make sure other people know I really need you to pour into me so that I can keep doing this. And it can go beyond our families too. And I know we'll talk about that later. If we can let our friends know and our church family and our extended family know that they can be very intentional and targeted with what they do for us and fill us that way. Yeah, that's true. Even friends. And like you said, I mean, on online relationships that we have friendships, that we're in Facebook groups together, different ways. There's, we're still serving and loving each other well when we are meeting needs. And so that's a good way to kind of broaden our view of how many ways this can apply. Um, yeah. We talk about, I mean, speaking the love languages of our spouses is usually the first language that we learn or want to learn. Um, you and I both are not high on physical touch, right? Yes. <laughs> so lots of, and, and that can be exhaust. I mean, like sometimes your spouse's love language, if it's physical touch can deplete you, right? I mean, there mm -hmm. are times that that happens. And so I sometimes just have to say, okay, no, this is the way that he, to sit close together or watch a movie or have that time. And that's also, like you said, feeding me. If mine is quality time, I'm like, okay, we're getting this quality time together, but we're also going to bump shoulders, you know, or hold hands while we're doing this so that we're both filling our love tanks at the same time and not depleting them. Yes. Yes, that's for sure. Yeah, it, it is so 
funny what you talked about depleting. Yes, my husband's is physical touch and I, and then it's quality time. And I believe part of that is because he's an identical twin. Oh. And so, you know, he was always with somebody yeah. and he was all, you know, in the womb, they were touching and they just were very close and they grew up in an isolated area. So they were all the other one had. Yeah. And so like when we got married and this was before the love languages came out, my husband wanted to be with me all the time. <laughs> he doesn't, words of affirmation are very low for him. And that's my, my secondary language. And so he wouldn't ever tell me anything. He wouldn't talk to me or say anything. He just wanted to be with me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it was draining to me. Yeah. And then the physical touch. The other thing was like, it took me years to convince him that if he came to bed after me and I was asleep, I did not want him to kiss me and wake me up yeah. because <laughs> I was a light sleeper. And then it would take me, I would lose two hours of sleep. Yeah. And he just thought that was so unloving oh. for him not to give me a kiss. And I'm like, no, just yeah. don't. And so now he doesn't. But I have to remember, if I'm the one going to sleep after him, that he wants me, even if it wakes him up, yeah. I need to give him a kiss. Or otherwise, he feels like he's not been loved. Yeah. So those are just little things that it's like, I have to keep that in mind. I have to remember when he comes home or before he leaves for work, he wants a kiss and a hug. I could care less. You know, what I want if I'm leaving is, okay, while I'm gone, would you move the laundry on? Yeah. That shows me love. So, yeah. So we have to figure that out. What's going to fill us up? What's going to fill them up? Even if it takes a little bit away from us to love yeah, them. It does. Which is, I mean, the compromise of marriage. It is a little mm -hmm. giving and a little taking and a little figuring out what is the most giving to each other and, and speaking that. And so it's, even as I read the book, I mean, I thought, I thought words of affirmation was mine, but I realized it's probably quality time because I get, if Lee and I are in the same room <clears throat> and he's on his phone, that doesn't feel like quality time to me. And so mm -hmm. I thought it was words. I thought it was the words we were speaking to each other, but maybe that's kind of evolved. And it's just, I just want to be able to say anything to you. And I want to look up and I, and when I start talking for you to put your phone down and give me your full attention. Mm -hmm. And, and maybe that's because full attention is in scarce supply <laughs> around here with all the distractions <laughs> and all the things going mm -hmm. on. And so I feel most love when I see him make a decision that honors me and loves me. Mm -hmm. So he sets his phone down or he makes eye contact or, or something that, that feels much more quality to me than just mm -hmm. anything side by side, you know, that we'd be doing at the same time. Just his full attention is really fills me up and makes me feel loved. And he, he does other things like uh, your husband brings you coffee in the mornings, right? Is that one of the ways he, his acts of service is? Yes. He'll, he'll make me an espresso. Yes. Yeah. Or, or a little, um, yeah. Yeah. So and you I know, love that. that's sweet. And acts, I love access. I love when the dishwasher is unloaded without me having to say, yes, can you unload the dishwasher or whatever it is? And that's really helpful. And so one thing um, that I want to hit on 
is you talk, you live in a multi-generational home. And so you know the importance of support systems. And so we referenced this earlier, but one thing that I think helps, it helped me when I was growing up and I, and I'm trying to build it for David as well, is that it's not just mom and dad who are speaking his love language. It's grandma and papa and nana and granddad. And it's also your youth leaders at church. They know you well enough to know how, even if they don't speak that love language, even if they don't use those words, they know how to invest in him and encourage him. Sometimes it's a great teacher at school. You and I are both former teachers. And so we know how mm-hmm. important those relationships are. And so I love that, that you mentioned we can expand our circles. We can show them love, but we can also be receiving love from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really true. And we have to be pretty open about it. And um, I, I really encourage, I've encouraged parents, if they can, to purchase Sharing Love Abundantly to, or to lend their copy to their parents or to good friends. And I encourage that support system, those people around a caregiving family to buy the book and read it themselves and then give it to that family or, you know, have two copies if you want to have your own for reference, because that is so, so important. Um, There's quite, there's a couple chapters at the beginning that go through uh, the, all the, the threats and the, um, pressures that are unique to caregiving families. And what I've discovered is it has two effects. Number one, caregiving families read that and they say, oh yeah, she really does get this. You know, she knows what she, what we feel like. So I'm going to keep reading. Mm -hmm. And then the other is the support system around them read it and they go, I had no idea that that's what they're dealing with. They handle it so well that I didn't realize that all these things might be going on. Now, what can I do to help? So I think that's really important for support systems to understand that, including our churches, including, um, you know, extended family, even teachers. I think teachers, educators, and also medical professionals, when they read this book, it really helps them. Uh, As a former teacher, if I had known that some of my families were experiencing these different things um, because I didn't experience all of those pressures when I was raising my son. But if I had known all of that, I could have been more understanding with those parents too and figured out better ways to speak to them. And, and I love in, in the book, it mostly talks about how you could share love languages for your children with disabilities with those educators and those therapists and the doctors, but it works equally well for our typical siblings. Uh, If we can figure out a way to kind of, and the trick is to figure out jargon that's gonna work. So you use the educational jargon. It's not words of affirmation. It's positive verbal reinforcement, you know? uh, Yeah, so if you can figure out how to do that instead of, of course, physical touch is a really tricky one in this day and age at schools and elsewhere. But you can just let them know, you know, my son responds best if like you just give him a fist bump. Yeah. or a high five. Those things mean a lot. Or make up a, a secret handshake. That can be a big one for some groups. So if you can just let 
somebody know what it is your child really needs, they're going to appreciate that. A teacher who has 25 kids in their class, if they know how to connect with your child easily, they're going to connect and they're going to use that. So all of that information, the more we can tell the professionals, the youth pastors, those people who work with our kids, the Sunday school teachers, the neighbor that you trust, what your child needs, you have a lot more help then with your typical child. Again, I think the value and the beauty of the love languages is they're easy. It doesn't have to be expensive because we don't have much time or much money. And it really doesn't have to um, take a whole lot of extra effort. You can figure out how to do the things you normally do in your life and how to tailor them to meet your child or your spouse's uh, love language. Yeah, it really is. Like it really does feel like a shortcut in a good way yeah. <laughs> to say, okay, I know we're limited here. And so of course I'm going to do what speaks the most love in this time that we have together. And so that's why it is such a gift to families like mine to really just kind of say, this is the, the easiest and best way to make everybody feel as loved as possible. So right, right. it's such a, such a gift to us. So I'm so thankful that you, I know writing it was a huge project, especially with all the interviews you did, but it's such a gift to our families. And so we're so thankful that you took the time and, and worked with Dr. Chapman and, and made it a reality for yeah. us. Well, well, you are welcome. But I have to say that those interviews, whenever I interview families, which I do for most of my books, that is like about my favorite part of the whole process because Everybody has things that they figured out that I never have dreamed of, or they're dealing with a situation that I have no experience with, you know, a certain condition or whatever. And I just learn so much. And so what I really enjoy then is that here I've been given this gift of all this information. I just want to share it with people because I know how much it's going to help, what a difference it can make for their families. Yeah. That's exciting. And you do that on your website, through your blog, through your social media. And so if you can share your blog address, your social media stuff, and then I want you to tell us about the next projects that you have coming out. Sure. My website is called differentdream.com. That's just one dream. Some people want to know if it's dreams. No, it's (laughs) differentdream.com. And uh, you can contact me there um, by email, or you can just go in the search bar and put in whatever you want, and you'll get lots of blog posts about a lot of things, not just by me, but by a lot of guest bloggers, that, including you, who have written uh, for Different Dream before. Um, you can find me on Facebook. I'm pretty active there. My page there is called A Different Dream for My Child, and I'm also there under Jolene Philo, and that's Philo with a P-H, P-H-I-L-O. Um, I am on Instagram, <clears throat> excuse me, that's kind of a new one for me, and I'm actually trying to build up a fiction presence, which is one of the things I'll talk about there, and that is called Down the Gravel Road, but road is just R-D, so Down the Gravel Road, uh, <laughs> when, you, when you type it in, and I also have a Facebook group called Down the Gravel Road, again, just RD for road, uh, which you can ask to join. It's a private group, but I'd be glad to have you join. Uh, So those are the best places to find me right now. 
Uh, and I do respond to Facebook messages and all that kind of stuff. And I love, like I said, I love to hear from people. So if you have any questions, if you have a certain situation you're dealing with, go ahead and direct message me or send me an email. If I can't answer your question, I can probably direct you to someone who can, yeah. which is also something I really like to do. So my next projects that are coming up, first, I'm working on... Uh, a project about it's called the mess that stress builds and what to do about it and i've interviewed a lot of families about the stress they deal with as caregivers and it's a book with uh information from what i've learned from them and from a survey that i did that went kind of semi-viral about stress in caregivers lives it is just in the project stage i am hoping maybe by next summer to have a publisher for it um, and then I can start doing more extensive interviews and do some writing on it. I really want to get that book out there because that is just a huge issue for caregivers and not very many people want to address it. And caregivers hesitate to mention it because they think that if they mention the stress they live with caring for a child with special needs, that means they don't love their child enough, which is not the truth yeah. <laughs> at all. But that's where kind of they're at. So I'd love to get that out. Uh, one of the things that's going to help that book get out there sooner is to increase the sales of sharing love abundantly in special needs families. Because the better those sales look, the more, more attractive my new project will be to a new publisher. And the problem is that book was doing really, it was going gangbusters until COVID hit. And then you know, just things have kind of dropped down. So purchasing that book is a way to help get the stress project out to the world. Yeah. My other project that I'm working on, and this one's a labor of love, and I don't know if it's ever going, going anywhere, but I'm working on a cozy mystery series set where we used to live in South Dakota in a very remote, remote part of the country uh, where I taught country school. And so the first book is called C. Jane Run, and the protagonist is a country school teacher. And there, is, there are some characters with special needs who appear in the books. Um, and I just, it's just fun to do. It's kind of a stress reliever for me, but I would like to start getting that published. Again, I think until we're done with the pandemic, probably not, not much is going to happen with that, just because publishing is trying to figure out how to sell books when you can't have like, uh, an activity where there's book tables and people yeah. can sell their books. So, yeah. but anyway. Well, and what I love about when you are working on a project is that you talk about it on your blog and in your Facebook group. And so if you're interested in Jolene's future book about caregivers and stress, then you can connect with her now because she's already sharing resources and talking about that on the Facebook page and through all of the resources on her blog. And so step one is to buy Sharing Love Abundantly in Special Needs Families. That's our big call to action today because I know it's gonna bless your family, but then that opens up doors for Jolene to, to do the next projects that she has on her heart and, and get those to us because they are so needed. And so it's, it's hard. You and I normally get to see each other at speaking events and those aren't happening and- no. Or they're virtual, which yeah. there are some virtual ones this fall. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's and who knows, they may still be virtual next spring, even if there is a vaccine and things are starting to get better. Our community, as many of the people listening know, we have to be really careful 
because we don't want to go out in a, a in a place where there's lots of people and inadvertently bring something back to our families. Yeah. So, yeah, because some of our kids are medically fragile and we just have to be careful. Yeah, we do. I know. And that's why I think for families like ours, this love language lessons is so timely and so important because yeah. we're just living in a time unlike any other we have experienced, but when it is even more important to be able to love each other well within our families and within the circles that we do have, um, grandparents and teachers and, and church helpers and everybody who surrounds our kids to be able mm -hmm. to support them. Uh, and I think it's important for us to realize that, you know, we're going to, when we come out of this and we will, we are going to know more, we're going to be more resilient, and we're also going to know we can get through things like this. Yeah. We really can. You know, I'm going through this pandemic and I'm 64 now and I look back and I think about my mom caring for my dad and us all caring for dad in the 1960s when there were not nearly as many supports as there are now. And I'm kind of like, well, you know what? This pandemic, I, I don't think it's as hard as it was raising, you know, helping care for dad in yeah. the 1960s and the 70s. And we got through that and we're all the better for it. Yeah. So I just want to encourage people to realize God is going to use this in yeah. your lives and use it to help you move forward with your children in ways you can't even imagine yet. Yeah. Just be patient and keep going. You're going to persevere. You're going to do okay. Yeah. I even think that, like, I feel like this is because David is 14, about to turn 15. I mean, with, has there ever been a time where your 14-year-old gets some of his social life taken away and gets more time with family? And so what a gift that is, if I can see it that way, to say, man, I've got this bonus time to invest in him and to fill up his love tank. And that way, when we send him back out to the world, he, he is stronger and healthier than mm -hmm. he ever has been because we have had this more intense time to be together and to to help form the person that he's going to be and so that's one of the ways that I'm kind of looking at this to say okay how can I take it and and make it more meaningful in his life specifically before everything gets back to normal and and he grows up and moves out and like will he look back on this time and say man that was the pandemic was hard, but we had a pretty good time at our house. I felt really loved by my mom and my dad. And I mean, that's what I hope comes out of this season that we're living through. Yeah. Yeah. To, to show that you are loved, you can make it through this, you can learn to love better. And I think our kids will go out knowing, you know, they've really got my back. Yeah. My parents are for me. They are for me and they are, they have done everything they can to help me through this hard time. Yeah. And that's just something that is of inestimable value to yeah. our children. It is. I know. Yeah. I'm glad we can find some positives in this. Yes. Well, we have to. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we're good at that anyway, right? Like we've been, as special needs families, we're good at 
you use the word resiliency. That's such a good word. Like, mm -hmm. and I say it's like a muscle that you work out. Your resiliency muscle gets stronger every time you use it. And so this is just another opportunity in our lives to build that resiliency. Exactly. That's very true. Well, thanks for joining me today. I enjoyed chatting with you and then getting to share this with the listeners. And, and I know it will be a blessing to them. Um, we do have a Facebook group called Abiding Caregiver Facebook group. And so we will be in the group this week talking about this. I'll share links to Jolene's book, uh, to the other resources that she mentioned, like the online quizzes, uh, Dr. Chapman's book for kids and for teens. And we will just equip you <laughs> to make this happen in your family so that you guys can uh, come out of this even stronger and feeling more loved than you were when this pandemic hit. So thank you for being with me and we'll see you next week.